Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now, the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined once again by the Coach A, Coach Alexander. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I love to be here. love talking Broncos. And guys, if you somehow don't know this, I don't know how you wouldn't know this, but Coach A has written a bunch of really, really awesome books on defensive football. I have dug through match quarters, hybrids, anchor points. I would recommend all of them. Um, he is on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore a, uh, if you don't already follow his, uh, Substack, it is matchquarters.substack.com. on the sub. You can see coach A's blitz of the month as well as breakdowns of like ongoing trends. He's recently written about attacking a three high defense, uh, DB drill work, and four of Dave Aranda's uh, Creepers. And before we kind of start talking Broncos, because, like, Creepers are something that I find fascinating, and that's one of the things I really loved about going into Anchor Points, is that you wrote about the fronts and, like, games and yeah. pressures. Because personally, and this is the whole thing, like, personally for me, coverage is really intimidating. And the more I read your book, the more I learned the different rules, the more I realized, like, I, I feel like as I'm watching stuff, I, I second-guess myself more. And that's probably just because, like, I haven't never coached corners and I never played in the secondary. So it's just like I don't have that, like, any of that background to really help me. I played in the front when I was in high school, so I know it's not necessarily the right. same. 
but like I played across the front at one point or another, basically end line linebacker. So I feel like I can identify with it a little bit. And then also it's, it just feels like I have a better grasp of it. And yeah. So the thing I thought was really cool. With the creepers though is, uh, so I, I want to kind of like, if I'm wrong, please let me know because this is my understanding. Yeah, and, and for those listening, if you don't know what a creeper is, uh, so a creeper is when you use, and again, my understanding is using a second or third level defender as part of the pressure package and they don't show pre-snap, but they end up rushing and someone who was originally a player on the front will drop. And for anybody who is a Broncos fan, the way that I would provide an example is last year, Fangio would send Alexander Johnson and drop, say Malik Reed into coverage. Um, yeah, and that, so, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so the easiest way of thinking a creeper is like a fancy term, like, or just kind of like a, that's kind of like a football, like a coach speak term, but an easy way of thinking it is like a replacement pressure. So you put Johnson in the rush and you replace him in coverage with Malik Reed. And so it's a replacement pressure. And so normally the pressure comes opposite of where you're dropping it. So it's kind of like, I, I, I kind of aching it to a seesaw. I didn't think about it like that. That's awesome. Yeah. And and again, this is one of the reasons I love your books too, because it helps like really make it accessible. And that's one of those things that like, uh, when I first started watching coverage, so I, it, it, and, and I think you've shared this pyramid before where it's like, you know, nothing, you start to feel like, you know, a little bit. And so you think, you know, a lot. And then all of a sudden, as you start to learn more, you start to realize like, holy crap, no, I don't. But, <laughs> but like when, when, uh, when I first started watching Fangio's defense and I, I actually remember sending you questions about like different split, uh, split field coverages. And as you explained it, I was like, oh, I think I understand this. And then I started watching Fangio. I was like, oh, I think I got a grasp of it. And then I read mass quarters and I was like, oh, heck no, no, I don't. But at the same time, like the rules, like even now, like I definitely will second guess it, but I feel like I have an idea as things are breaking down. Um, Cause one of the things I do when I watch a lot of film is I'm not necessarily trying to figure out the call so much as like, I want to know what they're actually doing and right. knowing the rules from you helped me to be able to see like, Oh, well this guy's going out. So now the safety's picking him up and that's why he's picking him up. Um, Cause before I'd just be like, Oh, he's definitely covering him. I had no idea why it was just, Oh yeah, he is covering right. him. So I definitely, again, guys, I would recommend those. Um, the one other thing I wanted to bring up with creepers before we really dive in. Uh, so the difference between a creeper and simulated pressure. And again, my understanding is simulated pressures. You see it pre-snap, whereas creepers, they're kind of trying to catch you post-snap. Yeah. So a creeper is, is really, again, it's a replacement pressure. We're bringing somebody off the ball on, um, into the box and we're inserting them in the rush and dropping a player that's on the ball back into coverage. A simulated pressure, the most common way of seeing these is you're going to present a five-plus man front, and you're going to end up only rushing four. So a lot of times you'll see in the NFL, because there's so much reduced sets, you'll see like six or seven guys near the line, and then the next thing you know, the ball snaps, and there's only four guys rushing. That would be a simulated pressure. The only real off-ball simulated pressure is some of those double A-gap pressures that you see. Where um, and I talked about it in the creeper toolbox. It's the Manning pressure, where you send both inside linebackers, but then you drop the D ends. Well, it looks like a six-man pressure at the snap of the ball, even though that they're not necessarily on the ball. 
So that one is kind of a an interesting one where it's not a creeper, even though it's kind of, you know technically a double creeper, right? I'm sending two inside guys that I'm dropping, but really you're showing that you're sending uh, six people, and so therefore it ends up being a simulated pressure. But most times when you see a simulated pressure, you're going to have five plus guys on the line, and only four of them are going to rush. Uh, Mike Zimmer uses that a lot with the Vikings, I feel like. Um, the double A gap look, and you're not actually getting all yeah. six. And then uh, last year with the Raiders, I know the Raiders did that decent bit with Gunther. Um, I don't know if they will now with Bradley, but I know I know I've seen that a lot um, just when I was going back and watching uh, Gunther's tape. Uh, so kind of diving into the Broncos then from there. Okay. Uh, and I want to start with the secondary just because that's kind of the part of the Broncos defense. I'm, I am over the top kind of excited about this secondary. Uh, and especially like I just came off reading the day one quotes for training camp and kind of like the fact that Fangio is implementing more dime. I was, I've been kind of thinking that they were going to, and it sounds like they are. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And I, and I really want to pick your brain on it. Um, but I kind of, and again, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit before, uh, but one, like one of the big differences between Fangio's defense or Brandon Staley's defense with the Chargers now and most NFL defenses is the fact that most NFL defenses right now still kind of live in a single high world, whereas Fangio bases right. out of too high and then he'll spin down. Um, and for right. listeners, uh, and again, like please correct me, you know, if I'm going off track with any of this or. But like two with, with too high, the way that works is you have two safeties back at the snap. They may not stay there, but pre-snap they're starting there. And what that does to a, an offense is you don't necessarily know what they're going to be doing. And so there's more disguise. You're able to do more disguise because you can't drop a safety out of a an eight man box into coverages easily. But you can drop a sa- wow. two safeties, one of them down easier. Um, so it just allows fans you to be able to mix and match his coverages more. Yeah, and it's really it's a leverage tool, and I think we saw this with Staley uh, last year, where he essentially played a five-one box for most of the year, and he leveraged the safety's depth and was able to kind of say, okay, if you're going to play action, he's still coming from depth, so all those crossing routes, he's still by the time he gets down towards the box, he will he will be at level to be better to see play action pass, and so I've always said too. Um, I'm a big too high guy. I, obviously, I'm a quarters guy. Um, but I do, like when I watch Staley and I watch Fangio, like I can get with that. To me, quarters is weak rotation anyway. You see a lot of weak rotation in the Fangio system, meaning that they're spinning away from the passing strength. So to me, that fits up a lot of what you're asking for that, that safety to the tight end. You know, a lot of times, you know, with these 11 personnel teams, you know, the, it's the safety to the tight end that's spinning down into the box. Well, that, there's not a lot of difference between that and then what a lot of teams are doing with quarters unless you're just playing cover two. And most teams don't necessarily want to play cover two to a tight end because there, there's an extra gap there and you're asking a corner to go fit into that extra gap. So I think with what, what the Fangio system really does is it, it uses depth as a lever tool and it just says, look, we're going to challenge you to run the ball. And we're going to use our, you know, our DN with Fangio. It's his DNs, and then with Staley, it was obviously Aaron Donald. But he also had, yeah, also had some really good edges. So it was like we're going to use these five off these five defenders, and one of them's going to win their gap, and one of them's going to win their battle with the O line, and then it's the safety at that point just has to kind of figure out where to fit, which he's used to doing anyway. 
uh, from a too high scheme because he fits off the overhang. So to me, it's really a leverage tool to get offenses to run the ball more, but also with how how the get, passing game now is in the NFL with all these over routes and these crossing routes, it helps that safety out in a sense like that. The one thing there, there's a lot that you just mentioned that I kind of want to like ask you about. And so I'm just like, I'm trying to get my brain around where I want to go. Uh, like one thing with that. And again, like kind of, and I know I'm going to pivot a little bit from like where I was one thing with that. And I think this showed up last year is that does put stress on your second and third level defenders to be run defenders. Uh, and yeah. and, and with the Broncos last year, because, Part of it, I think the Broncos run defense was pretty bad last year. Um, and part of that, I think, obviously was injuries just because the defensive line suffered so many. Like they lost Mike Purcell. Uh, Draymond Jones was hurt for one part. Shelby Harris ended up on IR. I And, and you probably know this, but so right, for those yeah. listening, that obviously hurt because it's easier to run when you have backup defensive linemen. But by design, Fangio actually places more stress on the safeties to be able to come up and play in run defense. And one of the things you mentioned anchor points is the difference between playing box or spill and the Broncos. And again, I might be wrong. So, but my understanding is the Broncos play quite a bit of spill because they're counting on Kareem Jackson or Justin Simmons to come up and play as that, that last line of defense. Right. And and a lot of times too, with the way that they, they ask their edges, you already have a box defender. They're not asking, you know, they're not asking those edges. Like, especially if you're asking guys like Chubb or even Vaughn Miller this year, to go spill underneath blocks and things like that. That's, that's not what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to rush the passes, so they can't constantly be thinking, okay, well, if I get a down block by a, by a tackle, or I'm, I'm going to, you know, I've got to look for this kick, and now I've got to go underneath. That's not what you want those guys to do. They're really good on edge of boxing. So inside, because you're doing that, you're going you're gonna to use what's called spill overlap. So a lot of times, because of what you're doing inside, you're letting your you have a three technique and a, and, a, and a G or a two I, and they're basically playing on half a man. And what you're telling those two guys is, look, yeah, you have a, you have like the three technique has the B gap, the, the the two I has the A gap, but you're going to react off of the what you're getting from your offensive lineman. So if you can if you can stalemate them and then rip inside, that's great because the linebackers are just going to keep flowing with the running back because you're going to change the direction of the running back. So that's what you call a ball fit. This is completely different from, and probably the best example of this is like if you've ever watched Ohio State. Yeah. That is four, three, cover one, single gap fit. Everybody has a gap. Everybody's fitting it. And that everybody's running to that gap. And that's why sometimes they get in some trouble versus teams that run the run the quarterback or teams that do kind of some read, read game or have some, some you know, second, like you can tie it in the block. You, you can get linebackers to fit gaps that aren't there well in, in the banjo system they're reading the ball carrier and they're just flowing to the first sign that they can get if, if they can get vertical they can get vertical knowing that they've got a safety coming from the table which means it's coming from that they've got a safety coming from the table and so they just kind of pull the chain with each other and if i meet uh, if i meet a puller i'm just going to spill it knowing that somebody's going to overlap and then i obviously have the run through um with the safety so each you know, the way it is, is the way that you normally want to fit the run, the most popular way to fit the run is like the lever spill level. I have a outside force. I've got somebody who's going to spill any puller, and then I have a run through or a lever player on the backside. And it can be any combination of three defenders, depending on what the, 
keeping the front end formation looks like. So that's usually what you get in the Fangio system is ball fitting linebackers with the safety coming from the table being able to kind of clean up any kind of mess in the box. So then, and I ask this just because the Broncos just drafted two safeties. And uh, there's there's some concern. I just heard this out at you know camp today. Is the idea that like if Cream Jackson or Justin Simmons goes down, they're they're completely unproven. Like obviously as rookies, uh, and I I scouted them both kind of coming out of the draft. And one of the big questions about one of them was his physicality. And for me, that's a concern just because you're you're asking that player to be able to play reliably into blocks and into ball carriers. Yeah, right. And, and really in the Fangio system, if you if you think about it, you know, um, Simmons is really kind of the, the, the deeper safety. Jackson's kind of the one that's come near the – he's the one that comes down, makes a lot of tackles. Um, so to me, yeah, to me, that's kind of how you got to look at it. It's like you have a box safety and then you have a field safety. And it's whoever's the one that's kind of lining up to the tight end tends to be more of that box safety guy. Um, and so what you probably do when you're drafting is saying, okay, hey, look, we're, we need to take a center field safety, somebody that can kind of play from depth and can kind of cover if we need to. Then you kind of have another guy, hey, look, he's got to be able to defend the tight end, but then also if we need to ask him to fit the run. I mean, if you go and you look at the Rams last year, uh, I, they were asking that guy to be, you know, they were basically playing a 5-1 in that second, that second, box defender to get to a seven-man box with the safety. So he was essentially a half linebacker, half safety. And I mean, I think Fangio tries to do the same thing. A lot of his rotation is to the tight end. So that guy's coming down on top of the tight end a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, you got to have two different types of safety. So, you know, he probably has a plan where the one, he's a little bit better of a cover guy, a little bit more, uh, has a more range. That's the guy that's going to play back. And then the guy that is a little bit more sturdier in the box. That that's the one that you want, kind of moving around and, and playing a different spot. So there's there's a it's like a revelation to me because I, I I've always kind of believed that because they're playing too high, there's not really a clear delineation between like strong safety and free safety. But because of run defense, there is like it's not the same well, as maybe a Seattle scheme. But like there's still like there's definitely like Cream Jackson is definitely a strong safety, whereas Justin Simmons is a free safety. Um, right. And, and so here's the thing, too, like when you see a lot of stuff growing up, like you've got to kind of think of it. I always the way that I always and if you've, if you've read any of my books, I always have like a field safety and a boundary safety um, or a cover safety and a, and a down safety. So what's weird is the strong safety, in a sense, is going to the passing strength, whereas mm-hmm. the free safety sometimes is the one that goes away from it. So it just depends on how the defensive structure is named, like who goes where. Um, so, but if you go and you really look at it, most of the time, the, the ones coming down and the other ones, they play about the same amount. Um, and I think in the Fangio system, the more you can have, and that's probably one of the beauties of having two guys like Simmons and Jackson in the back is that you don't necessarily have to be like, okay, well, we can't have Simmons play cover. You can't have Jackson yeah. play in the box and vice versa. That it's like, look, okay, if they motion the tight end, guys, we'll just play it. You rotate down, and then I, and then I go back, and then we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to flip block in the middle of the field. And that's part of the beauty of the system, too. And, and kind of the difficulty of the system is that your safeties have to be good at both. Now, you can have guys pre-snap line up or certain ways to have time with the reset that you ha- you'll, have, you'll, ha- you'll be able to 
kind of get reset, but you have to have in the Fangio system, you have to have guys that can play both. And mm-hmm. I think that's important. You saw that with the Rams as well last year. Um, you know, those guys aren't flip-flopping in the middle, too. You can't do that from a two-high structure. And a single-high structure is really easy because you have one guy in the middle of the field, and then that box defender just goes to the tight end, and mm-hmm. you just reset, and it doesn't matter. Um, so it's a little different in the Fangio system because of the two-high structure. And that's the the fact that they have to do both has always been why I always kind of like believed that there wasn't really a big difference between them. Uh, so that's I kind of like I outthought myself, I guess. Um, but kind of looking at coverage. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I spoke with Coach Vass. Uh, when I talked with him, he identified the Fangio defense uh, using mostly cover one, cover three. Uh, quarters, quarter, quarter, half, or like cover six is how I, you know, how I identify it. And then variations off of it. Um, and one of the things he mentioned is that, cause like when you look at charting numbers and I look at, you know, I look at this stuff a lot. Um, the Broncos run, ran actually a lot of zone or a lot of man. Uh, last year, I want to say they ran man by charting man or zone, uh, ninth most in the league. Um, but the, the reputation for Fangio has always been, he's a zone coach. Like he, People always seem to believe the Broncos or the Vangio defense doesn't need corners because they're he runs zone. Uh, and when I spoke with Vass, he mentioned that well, the, a lot of times when people think the Broncos are running man, they're actually running match. Uh, wow. and, and, I, and I was just kind of wondering like where you land on some of this stuff. Yeah, if Fangio does a little bit. It looks like the way that they run their cover three, so their their riffles, which is kind of everybody. Saban's Mac three, the famous how do you stop Dan Marino from throwing four verticals and then handing the ball off? You know, kind of deal. And you know, in the famous when the Steelers started running the Olympics, so I think everybody kind of knows that story about him. Him and Bill Six of Browns. Well, the way that they do a lot of things is anytime you get a fast three. So when, imagine you have a two by two set, you have two receivers on one side, you have a tight end on the other, and it doesn't matter where the back is. If the bat flares right now, that's called a fast three. It's a push, right? Well, in a, a lot of times, in a lot of these man match zones, the the this the linebacker to that side, whether it's the nickel or whether it's the outside linebacker or even the safety to that side, whoever's the overhang, they will actually come off their guy and push. They will have an exchange, so it's called a fast three, and they have a push alert. Mm-hmm. In the Fangio system, he doesn't do that. He actually has the backers take the bat. And so it looks a lot of times like, oh, this is like man, or this looks like one one cross, or this looks like one rat with the safety coming down because the nickel doesn't come off, or the way that they match a route isn't necessarily how people are so used to seeing that cover, that, that rip lizard, that cover seven system running. Um, I was talking to a buddy of mine that's familiar with the system. The other day, I said, you know, Fangio doesn't really. I, I you know, I asked him because they kind of run, they run the same thing as they run a similar kind of their version of the Fangio system. I said, do you guys push out of that look with the with the fast three? And he said, no, we, we keep the back on the back, which to me makes more sense because if I'm asking the whole reason I have a nickel or I have a safety down to carry a seam route is so that I have a DB carrying a vertical route. Mm-hmm. Why would I take that guy off and then ask a backer who plays in the box to now carry a vertical seam with no direct path, meaning he doesn't have a safety over top of him. 
I think the way the Fangio system does it is they say, look, if you're going to go fast free, we'll just rally to it. And that our backer, our backer will chase you and, and we'll hope that we can get it just by leverage pre-snap. Maybe we, he widens out if you widen out, right? But we're not going to take that DV off the, the scene. The only time that they will come off is if two, if number two runs an under route, meaning that his hips roll all the way over and he's going all across the field on like a shallow cross. That, that's the only time then, then they will give a switch. They'll give a switch call and then, the, then the overhang will come off. So, so a lot of times it looks like, so like what Bass is talking about, a lot of times people are like, oh, well, they're playing man coverage because that guy didn't come off and he should have come off. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that each, each system is a little bit different in what yeah. they do. And that's one of the, that's one of the hallmarks of that system in the Fangio system is it a lot of times, and not saying that this is a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time, if you watch, if a running back pushes out and, and, and two goes vertical, you're not going to see the overhang come off because why would I take him off of a vertical route? I think that's, you know, I don't, I can't speak to Fangio, but to me, I, as a defensive coach, I kind of see where his philosophy for that is there. Yeah. Why would I take a DB off of the and, and leave a running, you know what I mean? And have the running back not, or the linebacker not take it. So that's kind of one of the things that you see in the Fangio system is that sometimes it does look like man coverage, Mm-hmm. But it's really not. They're just playing their type of match. They're a match quarter or they're match cover three. And that would also be one of the reasons why the Broncos. So I, w- I talked to Derek Klassen for Football Outsiders uh, a couple, well, a couple weeks ago. And uh, so in Football Outsiders, according to their charting numbers, the Broncos linebackers were one of only two linebacker groups in the NFL last year that had a 60% success rate between the two of them or better. Uh, the saints were the other one. And you look at the Broncos linebackers and everybody kind of thinks like they're slow. So why they're good in coverage. Well, Fangio protects them with things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You're not asking, look, there's a reason why everybody's, you know, the internet blew up when Fred Warner signed yep. his big contract. But there's a reason why, because he's a unicorn. There's not a lot of guys that can play Mike linebacker and then carry a slot receiver vertical. So it, it just, and in the, in the Carroll system, which what Sala was there, and that Sala was it with success, but at the same time, you know, in that system, if you have a guy that can do that, then you can get those push rules and you can switch and it opens up your defense because that's how that defense is built. But for Fangio, it's like, look, I'm not, the, the system doesn't put capital on linebackers. They're not going to spend money on linebackers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. They drafted a guy in the third round, but you're not going to see them go and draft somebody in the first round. They're going to draft an edge. They're going to draft the corner, which they did. Uh, maybe if, if they're later, if let's say they make the playoffs and they're later in the draft, maybe they draft the safety. But that's where the capital on that defense is going to be built. It's not going to be built at linebacker. You know, to them, and you go look at what, what Staley did with the Rams. He built, name their two linebackers. Nobody knows, or, you know, nobody knows their name, but they, you can go through the front five, you know, and their secondary, you know, and that's because that's where the money is. That's where the capital is. That's where this defense is built. And so, like you said, they protect them in coverage by not putting them in situations where they're not going to win or they can't, they just can't win. And I think a lot of times that comes with how do you cover that up? You cover it up by running a too high shell so that you can, you can identify, um, you can identify certain areas and cover guys up, even in a single high scheme coming from a two high shell. 
but then also the way that you use your switch rules, your push rules, and, and, and other rules like that to get your to get your linebackers in advantageous situations. Makes sense. And so that's another to what you just said, that's also one of the reasons why with both Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell being free agents after this year, while the Broncos probably aren't going to overspend to keep them, they might retain them, but I think if their market kind of gets nuts, the Broncos will probably if they keep Banjo, obviously, that like you know, it's all contingent on that. But wow. th there's not a real reason to like overspend to keep one of them. Yeah, no, you probably pick who do you like? Who do you like better? Uh, yeah. I would probably say that they probably pick Jewel just because he's a good run defender. You can keep him in the box. He's a solid guy. He makes good decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's younger. Probably, and he's yeah, right. And, and to yeah. me, that's that's kind of yeah. you go. If in all things equal, you usually go with the younger guy. Um, so to me, I think that's kind of what we're, what you're looking at. It'll be interesting too this year how much uh, five man front that they use. Does he does he go a little bit more with what Staley did last year, knowing that he's got Chubb who can move inside? If Von Miller can get back to to what he was, Malik Reed was I think a happy surprise last year for a lot of people. Just hey man, he held his own, and and it wasn't just a you know it wasn't terrible. They still got some production. You know I think it's amazing to think about how atrocious the offense was last year, and they still were in the better half of the defenses in most, most categories. And that's with the injuries and really having, what, 10 corners play yeah. throughout the Which is ridiculous. Some of, some of the corners, uh, Parnell, Parnell Motley was signed, on, I, I want to say he was signed on a Wednesday and he ended up playing on a Sunday. So yeah. and he played a significant role the next week. So it was like he, he had one week to figure it out, and then after that he was actually asked to really play. Uh so one, one question before I kind of move to the front, because I, I really, well, there's a couple questions. So I, I, sorry, I lied. You mentioned corner and the Broncos did just draft Patrick Sertan. And granted, I don't want to get into the debate about fields or Sertan just because like, I'll go insane with that because I've been, I've been stuck on this since the Aaron Rodgers thing went down. And I, I apologize. So I, I can't not mention it just because it still hurts. Um, one of my coworkers at my job actually hung up a picture of today of Aaron Rodgers showing up to camp with his office shirt and the top of it just said, you mad, bro. So every, <laughs> everybody in my world at this point knows I'm like going through a grieving process with this, but, but I love Sertan and I, and I'm actually really excited for him. He was the top defensive player on my board uh, for the Broncos. I thought he was going to be a fantastic addition. Um, when I talked to Vass, he mentioned that coming from the saving tree, like Sertan's not going to have the kind of learning curve. Most rookie cornerbacks have to deal with learning the Fanjo defense. Um, do you think that's true? Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything. Now you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chumpacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, and I think also, too, a lot of times with, I mean, Saban loves to press his guys. Yeah. And so you're talking about a guy that's played man-to-man -man coverage since the day he walked on campus at Alabama and that he's had to go up against dudes. I mean, obviously, Alabama's like wide receiver U right now. Um, so it's not like he hasn't been going up against, you know, a bunch of bums. And then he plays in the SEC, which, again, has a bunch of uh, offensive talent, has a lot of good offenses now. Mm -hmm. um, now that they decided to come out of the dark ages uh, and get as good on offense as they are on defense. Um, so I think 
what you're getting with a guy too. He came from a complex system. Now corners in that system are that's not a, it's not a difficult ask. Um, safety, I think, uh, kind of in linebacker, that's a difficult ask. You're at those guys are having to make a lot of checks. They're having to do a lot of things, and they're going to have to do it quickly with motion and, and formation and things like that. I think corners a lot of times are asked to be. It's really simple. Take that outside guy. Um, but I do think he'll be in a situation where. He's a long corner. He can easily play. He can guard your number one or number two, depending on how good Fuller, how, how well they feel about Fuller. Um, you have a legitimate, you have a legitimate slot corner, Callahan. Um, so I think it gives them, it really gives them an opportunity to have a guy that you can plug in day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably in their mind, you know, they were like, look, let's go with somebody that we can plug in day one. And now it cleans up if they knew they were going to get Fuller. Now it cleans up everything in the back end for them because they have the best safety duo in the NFL. Now if they can get three legit corners that can cover, well, now you've got a defense. So now I think mm-hmm. he's got what he wants on defense. Well, and that's one of the other parts. Even though I, I know Fangio has, you know, obviously they have Miller and Chubb, but Fangio's defense really starts on the back end, kind of moves forward from there. Um, and I think they've yeah. had he, he's had big names in the front for so long that kind of people overlook that. But I think what he does in coverage is like a big part of what makes his defense what it is. Uh, again, this is coming out of camp, so I haven't actually seen this yet. But the reports today, and again, I, as we record this, the first day of camp is happening. Uh, there's been talk uh, that Sertan was playing some dime, like essentially somebody called it a dime backer. Uh, but it's dime is what I would assume it is, obviously. Um, and I'm very intrigued by this. And I, and I just mentioned this earlier because I think that the league doesn't play dime enough with how much the NFL is passing at this point. Um, I, obviously the big concern is that you're sacrificing some run defense, but the Broncos defense is kind of built to bait people into running out of bad looks anyway. Um, and when people are running out of shotgun, most people run out of shotgun. Now, I don't think you get downhill fast enough. Uh, right. Do you think Sertan would be able to play like that kind of role? Yeah, I mean, if you look at him, he's, he's about six two, two hundred, two hundred pounds. I think he, he's big enough to play inside on maybe a tight end if he needed it, to ask him to. I think that's kind of when you look at a dime situation, you're looking at you know, it's some variation of a four one or a three three. Like it just depends, and probably what you're looking at is really a four one. And then you're having somebody play a dime, a dime backer who's probably going to line up on it. Or you're going to have a one of the one of the safeties kind of take more of a role inside the box, and then that way you're kind of blanketing everybody. But yeah, I mean, if you have a bigger guy like that, um, to me, you can have a bigger corner near the box. You know, look at what the Rams did with with uh, Ramsey last year at the star position, and then they blitzed him. It wasn't like they just said, "Hey, we're going to line you up at the, at the slot position." the slot corner and then not send you. I think, it, you know, it's not like Sertan's never blitzed before. Saban uses corner blitzes in their system. So it's not something that that's foreign to him. Um, I think if you can get a guy that's multiple, and I think that's what that's where we're headed on defense. I think the modern defense now is with, it's just asking guys to do more. Hey, I, I need, if you can, if you are, you're a big corner, but hey, can maybe you play closer to the life premise? Can you add in, in, in the blitz game? It's harder for a tackle who's six, seven, three hundred fifty pounds to try and be agile enough to, to go up against somebody that's six two, two hundred pounds that it runs a four four. So I mean, it's just a, it's a little different. Um, so 
So I can see, I can see again, especially against more 11 personnel teams, you know, they're probably working dime for, for Kansas City. You're going to see yeah. them twice. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to have coverage guys. And then now knowing that, hey, I got, I got Chubb who can move inside. I got Von Miller. I got Malik Reed. I got guys that can rush the ball. I got, I got Chubb, like I said, who can move inside. I got another, I've got good interior guys that can get a push. I, I've got solid linebackers that we can rotate in and out. Now, if I can have the secondary to go with, that and I can I can blanket these Kansas City receivers. I can even Raiders with Waller, you know, and all their receivers. You know, it's like, look, we can we can play that game too. We can play small, you know, quote unquote small ball too if we need to on defense. And I think that's kind of we don't have to live in that four two five that they were living in last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that now they can be a little bit more creative, use a little bit more packaging, make offenses work a little harder on ID and what they're trying to do. One question I have with that, and because I think you're right, and I think it has to do with the Raiders and the Chiefs, and I also think the, I think the Chargers will probably do a little bit of everything, um, especially because they're, they're moving towards like a Shanahan style offense, so we'll probably see a little bit of heavy stuff. Um, so, and and I think in that scenario, the Broncos end up moving looking more traditional, just because that's what they tend to do when they're playing against 21 teams. But again, wow. but against these spread teams, uh, the question I have with is you, you mentioned the fact that they'll probably rely on a safety playing some of that in the box stuff. How, how, if they do that, um, or just in general, like how does moving to a dime look really impact what you're doing in coverage? You're just replacing a guy with, yeah. you're replacing a linebacker with a coverage guy. I mean, so what you're doing is you're just asking to play a little bit wider. You're giving that light box look and then you're just inserting whoever you need to. And that's probably going to be a secondary guy probably going to be one of your safeties that are coming down just you know which what formation it is are they are we rotating to the tight end are we rotating to the passing strength um Fangio does a good job of mixing up the way that he does it um where those guys are coming from what rules are they what rules are they reading you know he's got uh he's got a coverage that he reads that in three by one he reads the departure of the back so who takes the back depends on what the what the trips coverage looks like um, on the backside. So it does, a, there's a lot of things that he can do to kind of create um, different looks for these offenses so that they don't really know. And then you, like I said, you add that, you add that extra DB in there. That's not necessarily a tiny guy. So you're not running at somebody who's just a, a little guy and, and you match him up again with a slot or something like that. You know, now, now we can start, you know, now we can start uh, kind of, making these offenses work a little harder mm-hmm. because we can match up speed for speed with them. Uh, so one of the things that kind of stands out and, and I, and I asked this mostly because I hear this a lot from different fans is, uh, the issue with tight ends, I guess like people get stuck on this and I think part of it, and again, I might be wrong, but I think a big chunk of this is the fact that it's just Kelsey and Waller. Like, you're not going to realistically, you're not going to stop Kelsey and Waller. They're both good. You're going to try and slow them down and make their jobs harder. Um, but Broncos country tends to have this idea that the Fangio defense is just bad at covering tight ends. Well, and I think the dime look is part of a solution to that. Yeah, I think you're taking a, you're taking a bigger body and you're putting them on a tight end because he can hold up against it. Um, you know, I, I to me, it's, you know, Sir Tan's a big corner. 
Yeah. Um, two, two, 200 is over 200 pounds. That's a big corner. Uh, you know, they just don't make guys like that. There's a reason, you know, Xavier Howard's another one that's a big boot. Um, you know, even Jalen Ramsey, I don't think, is, is over 200 pounds. So, they, you know, you just don't get big guys like that all the time. And so when you find one like that and then you go up and you're in a division that has a guy, basically Waller, who is just a really, really big receiver. You have Kelsey, who's going to be, a, you know, he's a Hall of Fame tight end and a great receiver. Now you say, okay, look, we may be a little lighter in the box in the run, but we've got a guy that can match up with the tight end. And then if he just happens, he needs to make a tackle, then we'll live that, we'll live that down. And at least it's not going to be a fatal play. You know, yeah. we're just not giving up something uh, that just a huge chunk of yards and we're just losing something in the box. So I think that, I think you, you have to start coming up with, with other ways of defending these tight ends. I thought they did a decent job. You know, the Banjo system is so tough trying to run inside routes, routes that are back inside because of the way that they're always swinging a safety down into the, into the crossing patterns. And so they can catch you sometimes. Um, I think Simmons had a couple of a really nice plays. He had a pick against the Raiders, and then he had a really nice breakup against the Chiefs, um, rotating down, but then using his leverage and, and, and reading the quarterback and breaking on the ball, breaking on some of these, these big routes uh, on the backside with them expecting that, okay, they're, we're going to bait you with a guy over here like Tyree Kill or a Waller on the front side trying to get his vision over there, but then he sits right on that hash. And he ends up taking, he ends up almost picking, well, he got one. So, you know, those were a couple of plays that I saw that I don't think that they're terrible. I think everybody struggles. I mean, Waller had that second year in row test out in the yards with Kelsey. So it's not like it's just the Broncos. I think that that's just kind of, there's, when you have a tight end that can catch the ball at an elite level, you basically are constantly putting the defense in conflict because not only can that guy catch, but he can block and he can create a gap. And so that creates issues. You can't just ask him to play man-to-man on him because if you're asking him to play man-to-man, well, then now you're a gap short in the box because now you don't have anybody to fall back into the box. So it's, it's one of those things that, and I think Bilicek is the one that stumbled upon this in the early 2000s was, hey, if I have two tight ends that are like that, then now we can start doing them a lot of things. And I think what, what we're seeing now with, it's nothing that we didn't see in the 70s and the 80s is that you have a receiving tight end and you have a blocking tight end. And you just hope that you can get, like a, like the Eagles, for instance, have, have two guys that can block in. You know, and it's so it's like it, that offense, is, it's when, if they can ever get it going, it's kind of tough because it's, now I've got these two guys like Goddard and Ertz that can, that can do the same thing. So I think to me, anytime you get a guy like Waller, Kelsey, that to me makes conflict for the defense. Mm-hmm. Unrelated, but that's one of the reasons why I'm so high on Noah Fant and Albert O is ideally if they develop, the Broncos are going to have a version of that. Um, one one other thing, and I know I'm I'm really zeroing in on the Chiefs here, but one concern I have with if the Broncos are kind of playing like the light in the box look, and I think they will just because against Mahomes, you would much rather lose to a running game than Mahomes, like if you can. Um, but the Chiefs are almost trying to combat the idea that people are going to do that by loading up on big offensive linemen. And it looks like they're going to try and implement more gap running, which is kind of built to attack like these kind of defenses. Like, no. Yeah. Well, I think you saw what happened to the Rams in the, in the uh, playoffs against the Packers. The Packers had the best game. Plan. 
they they were they motioned they went two back they motioned to motion the three by one look get the linebacker to push out because he has to because they were in these five one boxes and then they just ran it right at the safety and they made that safety make tackles you know five six seven yards and the safeties at that game didn't make the tackles but with that Fangio system and really what Staley was doing in that system was look man, there's only one person in that box that can make that play and that's that safety and if you're D line you know and if you remember, you know, Aaron Donald was hurt. Yep. They just, that D-line just didn't play very well that game. The Packers won their one-on-one matchups, and when the offense wins the one-on-one matchups, and you manipulate the, the plus defender out of the box, and now he has to fold back in. You've created that conflict, that yo-yo. Now you're asking a safety to come from depth and make a tackle. Uh, when that running back's going full speed because he's able to hit it downhill because he won your one-on-one matchups, and now he's coming from, you know, 10, 12 yards, and he's got to make that tackle. It's just really tough. I think, to me, everybody raved and raved about what Staley was doing, and then you go and you look at the Packers game, and you're like, ooh, okay, that might be the answer. That might be that might be uh, something to look at, especially in that 5-1 box. If you're not, if you can't win your one-on-one, then what's the point? Um, so I think, to me, now you've got to do a little bit more on the front game and things like that if that's going to be if that's going to be the issue. That's what people have always talked about. Like, if, look, if you're going to play with a light box, you're going to play with a two-hot gel. You've got to do a lot of line movement. Well, Staley didn't really do that because he didn't have to. He had he had one of the best defensive linemen to ever play a game. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had two edge he had two edges that were really tall and athletic and controlled him and they played. So, um, and for the most part, the safeties made tackle. They didn't that week. So I think. You know, looking at it in terms of the Chiefs, that's something that, that you're going to have to be concerned with. How are we going to manipulate the front? How are we going to are, are we How are we going to be able to win our one on ones? And if we can't, what are we? What's that counter going to be? How are we going to change it up? Are we going to be more pressure oriented, um, or are we going to be more movement oriented? And how's that How's that going to work? And having watched the Fangio defense last year, like, what do you think is kind of like? And again, I know last year is not necessarily a great because the defensive line was so hurt. So you don't really have a good barometer of how good some of them were. But I also know like Fangio implemented a lot more games last year than he did in 2019. And part of that, I think, was to make up for the loss of Von Miller. But also, I think part of it was to try and help his defensive linemen because he had so many injuries. Um, So do you think like that would be kind of his go to answer for the Chiefs or like? Or, or do you think it's realistic to hope that like Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell, Draymond Jones can win their one-on-one matchups like consistently? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes with personnel. You know, what are you going to do? Do you move Chubb inside? Try and try and win? Can can he play gap and a half on a on one of those guards? Um, are you going to have guys fold back in? You know, because what you're doing now is you're asking guys that have basically played the edge for so long that now, hey, you're going to have to fold in and kind of be a box backer. Uh, so maybe you are going to see a little bit more games up front, see a little bit more line movement in the interior just to kind of change the angles and change the reads, and, you know, kind of make the offensive line work post-snap. You know, so that's something, again, that's something that, like you said, is something to look at as the season develops and, and what they're doing kind of in the preseason. You know, most of the stuff preseason happens at practice. It doesn't ever really happen in the games. But, you know, how they're kind of using some of these, these players and positioning where they're putting them to kind of leverage that defense, knowing that you know, really a lot of times you're you're bringing a safety down as kind of that plus one in the box and, and that angle, and how can you help that? 
I'm not necessarily have to be making a solo tackle, you know, mm-hmm. five yards, five yards back in, in the box, you know. Um, so this is as much for our list, like our listeners as it is for me, because I feel like I overthink this. When you say gap and a half, can you like break that down for like me? Like, cause I overthink yeah. it. Um, cause I've always, I, I grew up kind of learning like the difference between two gap and one gap. And then last year with Staley is when I first kind of really started to hear like, well, two gapping in today's NFL is mostly gap and a half. And I feel like I have an okay grasp of it, but I, I would appreciate, you know. Right. Yeah. A lot of the, I know like the old school two gap stuff, it's like you line up head up on a guy and you just kind of press him back. It's kind of a knockback, what I call a knockback. You're just going to knock him back, get a stalemate and then, basically shake the bending machine and then, yep. you know, shed the bending machine. That's how they coached um, me in high school, trying to teach yeah. me to do it. I was too and, small. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's funny. Uh, our, my D-line coach at, at uh, Horn last year, that we tell those guys, you know, look, we're going up against some of the big, you know, I, I coached six days football here in Texas uh, last year, and we would go up against these huge offensive lines. So anyway, we're going up against these big six days offensive lineman, we got these small agile D-line. It's like, don't shake the spinning machine. So when you don't have big guys, you move a lot. When you have guys that are strong and athletic and are really good, then you can ask them, hey, I just want you to take a step and react. If the guy comes to you, stalemate him, take a peek inside. If he sees a running back, shed him and try and dip inside. So you're playing your gap, you're holding your gap, but if that running back appears, I'm going to go ahead and shed him and try and play that, that shoulder of the running back, knowing that somebody's going to be coming on the other shoulder. So that's why it's that gap. You're playing a gap and a half, and not necessarily you have to control these two gaps. So I think nowadays what we're finding with the, with the spread offense and really the spread uh, revolution in the NFL is that you can't have like a guy like Will Fork who can just camp in the A-gap. And he's so big, he just sits there. He's 370 pounds. He just knocks that center back. And he's just, you know, he's sitting there shaking the vending machine, and then he just throws it because he's a big ass. So I think what you're asking for and what gap and a half really means is it's more of a, a react and then an attack type of defense and not necessarily what, we're, what we've been used to seeing in a lot of these odd front defenses and these kind of Mm-hmm. edge rushers that are just like just penetrate 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 get upfield attack 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 and then once you've owned your gap and then you react to what you see and let the linebackers clean it up and then that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier with the ball fitting linebackers is you can do that and when you're at the lines playing gap and a half because you're just kind of track 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 and then if you need a fall back because you're a linebacker your d line your anchor point one hit gap now you can fall back or, hey, maybe your that guy crosses my face. I need to just keep going. And so now I just keep going to the next gap, knowing that we're kind of holding the same with the linebacker. Um, so that's kind of what they're talking about when they say gap and a half. Oh, it makes sense. That it, it paints a picture on my mind that's a lot easier to visualize. And it actually makes me a lot more optimistic about the Shamar Stevens signing. Uh, because when I went back over his tape, he actually did that quite a bit with the Vikings. I know he's not a big name. So those of you listening who kind of hear him and you're like, oh, who is he? He's quite good at that. All right. It was something that showed up on his tape that I saw. Um, and I would say like, that's one way you can play the light boxes. Like the Fangio defense does and still be competent against the run normally. 
Yeah, and, and two, it, it just requires like your edge defenders sometimes can make they can fold in. Um, hey, there's you know, for instance, the offensive tag, there's a zone into me. Well, I know I've got an overhang coming down as the safety. I can go ahead and fold back into the gap, create create an extra man in the in the box as the three tech now feels to me lead. So now he can push out to contain. So again, you're playing gap, but then I'm really getting pushed out. So it's it's a way of negating blockers. It's a way of playing with the rules. You know, we see this at the college level a lot. You know, guys pull so the end man, the edge rusher pulls with them mm-hmm. to add numbers if people ball fit. I mean, it's the same. You're starting to see some of this stuff in the NFL too. You know, there were a couple of, you know, um, there was a couple things like when, uh, for instance, second half of the Chargers game this year, I think it was later in the year, the Broncos came out and they kind of had that five, that five man front look where they would kind of walk down the wheel linebacker. Yeah. And then he's not really in charge of the, he's in charge of the C gap, but if he gets, run action to him he can always fold back inside knowing that that guard's going to push that three technique which was four he's going to push that guy out to the paint so now he can add himself back into the box it's just a different way of gaining numbers in the box when you play a light box you have to do things up front because you can't just play single gap because that guy's coming from the table and you don't want to necessarily put your safety who's 12 yards deep in the a gap usually not a good thing. You can go go watch what happened to the Rams against the Packers. Not really it's not really good. Not a good thing to have if you're not winning up front. And this kind of brings me to uh and, and again in anchor points you really kind of you highlight this is the difference between a bear front in today's NFL or in like the bear front in the modern defense versus like the bear front at, like if people playing Madden, if you go and use a bear front Madden, it looks like the the Bears bear front from back in the day. Right. And again, I love that front, but like, I don't think that like, there's definitely key weaknesses if you don't have 99 corners, like I do in Madden. Uh, <laughs> but one, one of the questions I have with that, cause I do think that Fangio, when, when he faces off against these teams that use 21 or like the teams that want to play the Shanahan style, where they're, they're just going to try and play bully ball on you, he'll probably move to a lot more of that. And I think when I talked to Vassie called it the penny front or penny personnel, uh, how does that influence coverage or does it influence coverage? They can still do everything. Can, like, can they still do everything that they normally would out of like a nickel or a base personnel if they're in that? Yeah, right. You can do almost anything you want. What you're really asking the, you're asking the edge defender away from the tight end is really kind of your flat defender on the weak side. So it, it all the bare front really is, is it's a five, two, and but you've got your edge rushers that are really just outside linebackers, right? They're your they're stand they're your stand up edges. You know, Von Miller's going to be one of them, right? You're not asking that guy um, to just go again, go bang his head on the wall and and really be kind of an interior guy. So what you're asking in that in that and what a lot of times that's kind of what the modern NFL has done is just okay, look, when you go heavy, we're going to get into the fair front. We're going to put our two linebackers in the middle. We're going to clog up the, all the interior gaps. We're going to have these edge rushers that are going to build walls. And then we're going to let our backers read the ball carrier. And then our state, we're either going to rotate strong or rotate weak and just bring a safety down uh, to kind of end up in the, in the box. Now you go watch a system like the Pete Carroll system. It almost looks like a four, four. I mean, they're just, they're just down there already um, where the Fangio system says, no, we're going to leverage it. 
we're not just going to go waste a guy down there um, and let you use motion and things like that. I think, I think to me, the coverage systems don't necessarily change. You just have one less deep to back on there because uh, you don't have the nickel on there. Now, instead of having a nickel, you bring a nose in. Uh, and so you plug an interior gap and now you only have four DBs. And so that's kind of from, from there, I guess it's a good kind of like move to one of the big questions kind of going forward is how the Broncos with Fangio are going to really maximize Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. Uh, and, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit in the past, but Fangio is only like when, when Fangio was hired, everybody was dreaming of what he was going to be able to do with those two. And he had four games with him so far out of 32. And those four games came at the very beginning of when he was installing his defense. So anybody who like can look at it objectively knows that the coverage like players were still really, they struggled to pick up the system early on, which hurt the edge rushers. Um, but at this point, like the Fangio defense, like everybody has been kind of like schooled on the Fangio defense enough that you would think that he can kind of just unleash them. Uh, but how do you expect him to like really kind of try and maximize the fact that he has two like pro bowl plus caliber edge rushers? Yeah. And I think, I think you're going to see more five, one looks uh, to let those guys kind of play. I think you're going to see Chubb move around, um, move inside some in his, uh, in the nickel package with the four down guys, let him go play some three technique, get, get soloed on a guard. You know, I think that's the thing that probably the casual fan doesn't necessarily know about the NFL is that guards don't want to be tackled. There's a reason why they're playing guard. If you were athletic and you can defend an edge rusher, you're playing tackle. Like you're, 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 you're not staying inside. So one thing that you can do, uh, and we kind of saw this with the Rams, with, with Aaron Donald, is if you have a bigger guy that can play like an edge rusher, you can now use these kind of wide sets. You can line Chubb up in a five and put him next to Von Miller. Okay, well, now you've got two guys that can now rush the edge. So now I'm, I'm dictating where the, the protection is going to go. That opens things up for, for guys on the other side or for you to be able to manipulate that. Now you can take Chubb and do some things inside and move him, let him go run the hump, let him go do some more interior line stunts things and get him on guys that maybe he can't necessarily protect uh, the quarterback in that. So I think what it does is having two guys like that, but then having a guy that you feel comfortable moving inside and also having a guy like Malik Reed that you know is productive as well, to be able to say, hey, we can have these three guys on the field. Uh, when these teams want to go 11 personnel and we feel like they're going to try and throw the ball, well, let's move Chubb inside. Now we can start doing some things with him. Um, maybe we can play with a little bit of a 5-1 box and have, have Chubb move inside and have Malik Reed and, and uh, Vaughn Miller on the field at the same time. Uh, that way we can still get some sort of a pass rush. Because really, if you think about it, if I'm playing gap and half and I'm playing a lot of zone teams, teams are trying to zone, they're not necessarily running a lot of lot of GT, and you just don't see a lot of GT in the NFL, um, or if you're, they're trying to run a little bit of power, you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I can win. I can win that one on one. So I think maybe you're, you know, Fangio messed around with the five one front stuff a little bit, but he did it with out of a four two. He did it out of his nickel personnel because, like I said, he just didn't have two line. So I think when you have guys like that, that you can have elite rushers, it just kind of opens up for you to be able to do a little bit more up front and a little bit different looks and, and even some coverage things. Definitely. 
Yeah, that's uh, last year. I, I had completely kind of overlooked how big a difference that could be. Because um, I know, like you said, Fangio did mix that in a little bit last year. And uh, when I talked to Blitzology, uh, Coach Vaughn, he highlighted that, that that was like one of the things that he really was excited about, that Chubb was showing that the skill set to really make the most of it. And I and again, like I said, I had overlooked how big a deal that was. But when I thought about it with like Dalton Reisner, like, because again, Dalton Reisner, people ask me just about every other week, why doesn't Dalton Reisner just slide out and play right tackle? And I always tell him what you just said is Dalton Reisner's biggest weakness is you don't want him against that kind of speed and twitch because when when he's played against the guy like Zedarius, uh, Zedarius Smith, the Packers abused him with that, like that same exact idea. You know, think about if you line up Bradley Chubb in a five and you put Von Miller outside, Ray great in a nine. What you're asking is that tackle has to set to the nine. Okay, that's easy. He does that all the time. But that guard now has to play tackle because now he's going from an inside guard. He's got to now kick step out to a five technique. They can't just, they're not going to put a running back on a, on a edge rusher that they know is really, really good. That's, your, that's asking, again, ask any defensive coach in America at any level. Make the running back block. If you make the running back block, you're probably going to win more than, than you lose when it comes to your pressure back. So if an offense is just going to say, hey, we're just going to go ahead and put the running back on Von Miller, I, we're, the Broncos are probably going to win that game. Uh, and whoever's that quarterback probably is not going to end up playing quarterback by the end of the game. So what you've done, like you said, you've now made that guard have to now play like a tackle. And by being able to have a guy that's an elite edge rusher or just an elite rusher in general now get a one-on-one with a guard that you know he's better than. But now I'm making that guard do something that he's not. Now it opens up that pressure pressure package. It opens up the way that you do things. Um, even if it's just like you said, running that bare five one, moving Chubb into a three. That's a that's a one on one. That Chubb, all he has to do is win it, and you know you're going to get it cleaned up by the linebacker or the safety. Mm-hmm. So to me, having that skill set, it does it. It's kind of like that key that really unlocks the defense. And I think we saw that last year with the Staley system and what Aaron Donald was able to do from an interior lineman perspective of just, he lined up at a five, he lined up at a three. Sometimes he was, as sometimes he was at the nine. It, it just, whenever you have a guy like that, you can move him all the way across the front. You basically say, Hey, look, this is the weakest offensive lineman. I'm going to put you on him. And all you're going to do is abuse him. That's it. Just when you're, when you're, when you're matched up. And it just, it kills what the offense is trying to do especially in, in terms of what we saw last year with the Staley, what Staley did in the system and what we know the Fangio system can be. I do really think that like, as I, as I, you know, as we're discussing this, it's, I do think it really. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It clarifies in my mind why I think the Chiefs were spending the money they did to solidify the interior offensive line. After they lost out on the tackle chase uh, with San Francisco, they turned around, they pivoted, and they just spent a lot of money to solidify the interior. And I think, and again, I don't think they did it specifically for the Broncos, but I do think that they they had the Broncos in mind with this 
person like first of all i think that it helped them to they can run more ga- uh, gap concepts but also it helps to combat teams trying to do moving an edge rusher inside against them because they have better guards right and, and that's kind of where you where you get that is if obviously the better your total offensive line is yeah. the easier it's going to be for you to kind of combat what defense is trying to do mm-hmm. uh so one other one other player i want to talk about and and, and, it, and this kind of seems fitting because like Chubb, like you said, Chubb being able to unlock the defense like that is something that I really am excited about with the defense, even if like the, the, the sack numbers and that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily back it up. So like, I think it's one of those things where like casual fans may not totally appreciate what Fangio can do with his edge rushers. Um, but I can't wait to watch it. Hopefully if game pass comes back, cause if it doesn't, it's going to suck. Yeah, but, but, um, but one other player that doesn't really get a lot of recognition is Mike Purcell. And, uh, when I looked at the numbers, and again, like Mike Purcell's injury last year happened right around the same time a bunch of other stuff started to happen. So it's hard to really pinpoint all of it on him. But when I started to dig into it, I didn't realize Mike Purcell was averaging 43 snaps a game across his first five games before he got hurt. Um, So for me, like I always, and again, maybe Madden did this to me, but I always kind of imagine like Shelby Harris. And then if you can get another athletic pass rushing interior lineman, you want him. But in a t- like on a team like the Broncos where you run so many light boxes, having a guy who can actually play like Purcell does is probably pretty valuable. Yeah, it's nice if you look, you know, you still have to have a nose that can move a little bit, but if you're gonna play a lot of five man fronts, you've got to have just a tough nose that look you can either say, Hey, I need you to hump this A gap, hey, I need you to knock back this center, maybe play a little bit of lag technique, which means it's just knock back, fall back. Basically I'm knocking the center back and then I'm falling back to the running back side to get to cut off the back, to cut off the cut back. Um, so yeah, if you're going to implement a little bit more five man front, you definitely want a nose um, that can that can control the middle of the, the box. You know, if you're going to be more of a four down and you're going to be more movement based than gap and a half, you want a little bit of a lighter nose. Somebody that, yeah, he's still got to be strong because he's got to win gap and a half. He can't get tossed, but he's, he's more of a reaction guy and he's using more moves to get free than he is his free strength. But in the five man front, you need somebody to, to kind of press that point of the center and be able to live and camp right there. And that's probably why they actually went out and signed Steven because with Purcell coming off injury, they actually saw what life was like without him. Well, uh, just limit. I mean, if you really think about what the Broncos did, is, is that anytime you went big, they got in their 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 five. They're basically their, their five man front. Their two backers. They basically got them base right. Their penny package. And then anytime you went light, they they only could really play a four down. They couldn't really do anything else. So you're right. It's probably like, look, we have to have a nose that can play nose at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I know last year after Purcell went down, they kind of they at one point they had Sylvester Williams. Uh, and I think he's a free agent right now. And, and granted, again, when I went over his tape compared to even some of the other players around him, I mean, he was okay. He was a good gap occupied, like he occupied gaps, but I don't think he necessarily brought a lot beyond that at all. Um, and I think the Broncos knew that because by the end of the year, he was losing snaps to Deshaun Williams and uh, Draymond Jones, even though Deshaun Williams is probably a better pass rusher. He was, I want to say he was 285 pounds. And then Draymond Jones is like 280 ish pounds. So like they, they were giving that up just because they said, Sylvester Williams doesn't give us enough elsewise. So like, that's why they went out and got Steven. Cause at least then they have another guy who kind of is like Purcell where 
he's a clogger, but he's quicker than he gets credit for. And I think he does a good job using his length. Um, cause that was the thing that stood uh, out to me most with Steven is he does a good job with his hands, keeping himself clean to do the gap and a half to take, to, to shed a guy and try and get on the ball. I want to talk to you a little bit about the linebackers again. And I know I talked about the coverage, but in terms of run defense with Josie Jewell and, uh, Alexander Johnson, there's been a lot of talk about, again, the athleticism, like basically everybody, I think, I, I think Madden does this to everybody. I know I keep referencing Madden. I, I apologize, but but I think it just influences everybody in this way. Like people like it's, you know, it's an accessible way for a lot of casual fans to really see the game. Um, and you see a, a linebackers that aren't necessarily fast and you think, well, we should get more athletic. And the Broncos seem to have agreed to some degree because they went out and got Justin Cernod. John Elway did. That was the last linebacker he drafted. Um, and that was the year they tried to trade up to get Patrick queen. And then this year they went out and signed Baron Browning or drafted Baron Browning. And again, I love Baron Browning personally. Uh, he he's a freaky athlete, and I just I had him as my LB three uh, for this Broncos defense. Um, hopefully he's healthy enough to contribute. Um, but I guess kind of like the the big questions I have with both of them is like first of all they're inexperienced, so like learning the defense, like how hard do you think that will be for them? But also like what do you think like having an athlete like let's say they eventually take over one of those two roles. How would that help kind of change the Fangio defense? Like, does that unlock anything for him? Do you think? Yeah, I think anytime your anytime your linebacker can can be a little bit more helpful in coverage, or maybe as a as as a, another pass rusher, I just think that you know, it, again, it adds to what you can do. It adds to the looks. It adds to the depth and kind of the the robustness of your of your play calling. You know, I think what you saw with the Broncos last year was it was like, hey, we're going to keep it really, really simple. We're not going to do a lot of crazy stuff because we just can't do it. We're going to, we're rolling through guys. We don't really have the personnel to go back and forth. We're going to keep it simple. Um, and I think, again, I, I think people have to stay positive with how bad the offense was last year, how many injuries they had uh, on the defense last year. And we were still relatively middle of the road on defense. I think it, goes to show you that the scheme works now let's put it into place now we have the players i think there's some excitement uh, when i look at the defense and i look at the defense roster it's like okay we can be really really good on defense and i think in order to win in the afc west that you're going to have to be really really good on defense um, and i think with what they're doing having some more athletic linebackers Pair with some of these guys, now you're starting to see that, okay, you've got the linebacker that can play to a tight end. Now we have the box backer. And so now you can kind of see kind of that maybe that evolution of where they want to go with the defense. If we have that more athletic linebacker that can maybe cover a tight end, but it can also play in the box that frees up that box backer to not, again, you protect your guys and let him just kind of be a, a gap plugger uh, and, and fit the ball. Gotcha. Um, and I guess the other, the other point to that is with certain, with, especially with Browning, I guess more than anything, cause Browning is the one I'm more concerned about the fact that he missed OTAs with the injury and then he's missing camp early. The, the reports out of like from George Payton, I want to say, he said that they're being conservative with him and the hope is he'll be able to play probably by the second week of training camp. Um, do you think he's like, the big concern with him coming out of Ohio state was the mental processing and like fairly or unfairly, that was kind of like the big question about him. Um, so like, I guess like a lot of people, and again, I I'm partly part of this is concerned that 
he's falling behind and he's basically going to get to this point where he's just not gonna be able to contribute much to the defense at all. And granted he's a backup right now. So like it's, it might not be the end of the world if that's the case, but do you think that's a fair concern or do you think like he should be able to catch up? Like the fans your defense is it's complicated, but like you just said, like he'll probably meet them where they're at. Um, I think that there's things that you could do, uh, especially with personnel packaging. Maybe he's on on third down, he's more of a coverage linebacker, rush linebacker. Um, I think you know, kind of wean him into it, you know, over the over the year. You know, I I think that we still have to understand, like Josie Jewell wasn't terrible last yeah. year. Um, you know, he still was one of the better linebackers. Um, he wasn't that bad last year. If you can get one of those younger kids to kind of push for that next spot, um, maybe that's a little bit more athletic. Again, I don't think that, you know, you really think about it. And I think and I keep going back to the Rams because I think that's the contemporary to what Fangio, I think that's what Fangio wants the defense to be like, you know, is, is the safeties are really calling it. Um, whereas, whereas in a in a traditional defense, the, the linebackers are calling it. Um, so I think there's ways in this system because of the complexities really in the coverages mm-hmm. and the linebackers really just ball fitting. Uh, you just kind of have to line up correctly. I think that you can kind of get a guy that maybe he doesn't have the savvy, the, the, the football IQ right now that you can kind of wean him in there over time and let him, Hey, look, all you got to do really fit the running back, just kind of go be in a big play, and we'll kind of clean it up with the D-line and the in the secondary. Or, hey, just go rush the passer right here. Just go cover a running back because you're thinking athletic. Um, so I think that there's ways that you can get a young guy like that involved, and then the more confidence they get, then the more you add on their plate, and eventually, next thing you know, maybe by the end of the year, he's pushing for a starting spot. That makes me feel a lot better about it. Because, again, like, he was my like, – and, again, I liked both Sertan and Javante Williams – but I think Browning was the one I was most excited about just because you see him, you see the tools and you think with a coach like Fangio, like, you know, give him a little bit of time and he could be really good. Uh, so I, I've been, you know, kind of, kind of the injury was really kind of dampening my, my spirits with that, but I'm, I, I feel a little bit better about it. Um, One other big question that I have for you, kind of looking ahead uh, just because so Chubb is obviously on his fifth year contract next year. Von Miller's 32. His contract's coming up. Uh, Justin Simmons was just resigned. Shelby Harris was just resigned. But the Broncos are really in a, this kind of is a transition year in a lot of ways. Um, the Broncos have a lot of core pieces from the past, like in Von Miller and a couple others, Kareem Jackson, obviously. And then they have a lot of young people that are kind of coming up towards the end where they're going to have to make a decision to keep them. Um, so kind of like, Knowing what you know with the Fangio defense, who do you really identify as like core pieces that you know? Well, I think the secondary, you know, I think you got to find, you're probably going to have to find the safety at some point um, just because of the, the age and, and where, we're get, where we're getting at there um, with Kareem Jackson. At some point, you're going to have to find a replacement for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at corner, you're pretty much okay. If those guys can end up, if you can, you know, if, if the Fuller, if, if you hit with Sertain, you know, I think Callahan has proven that he could be a good slot corner. And so you get these guys in where they can really be. And then you kind of have some of these 
positions that can kind of be piece guys. I think your secondary is fine. I think if you go through the front, you know, again, you've re-signed some of these guys. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with Von Miller. I think this is really a trial run for Von Miller. And I hate to say it, but if he comes back and he has a great year, okay, well, then he's, he's going to be okay. We're fine. You know, he'll end up being a Bronco. But if he comes back and he's just average, you probably have to move away from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a concern of mine. Because uh, and, and the thing is, they have Malik Reed, yeah. and Malik Reed will almost definitely be back next year on an RFA tag. So if, like, Vaughn Miller is, say, like, a B version of his 2019, somebody else is probably going to still give him a lot of money. And I don't think Peyton will. And again, like as a fan, like Von Miller is the one player left on the Broncos that I, like I, I became a fan of the Broncos long enough ago. And then I, you know, I started doing what I do now. Von Miller is the one player left from before I started actually like trying to be objective about this as much as I can. And so like, it'll, it'll crush me personally, but like, I, I also can see why they would make that decision, but that's, it's definitely one that I'm kind of not, not super high on. Yeah, and it's just tough. Like you said, it's tough because, you know, I think a lot of Broncos fans have grown up loving Von Miller, and we know the freak that he can be. And to see, you know, it's just, that's what ends up happening is yeah. you remember these guys for who they were, and then they get to, they get injuries, they just age, and it just it becomes an issue. You know, but I think like a guy like Malik Reed, if he can show a marked improvement this year again, you know, that's a guy, like you said, he, you keep him. Bradley Chubb, with his versatility, being able to play outside and inside, I think that lends him to, to staying on. And then it's just, okay, now we've got to go find another edge rusher, um, somebody who can step up into that role, knowing that we have some good, young, inferior guys and we know that are going to be here for a couple more years. It's like, okay, we've got to go find that next edge rusher. But I think you don't, you know, obviously you didn't draft them in this draft because you're trying to figure out, okay, can, can Von Miller get back to what he is? And if he can't, then now we kind of have an idea of what we need for next year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, – so there was a rumor and there was a report that the Broncos tried to trade up to get Jalen Phillips out of Miami this year uh, after Sertan. Like they were going to try and get him in the first round too, but he went too soon. So like to me, it like – and again, I don't mean to be a pessimist because I, I tend to be and I don't – it's not that I try to be – but the fact that they did that to me points to the fact that they don't think they're going to keep Von Miller, um, which again, I hope he changes their mind. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's one of those things. The, the thing with Von Miller is his production was yeah. so high. And then I, I just think that you sometimes injuries just, it just changes person and changes the way that you do it. So hopefully again, I like it. Don't get me wrong. I'm rooting for him too. I love Von Miller. I hope, yeah. I hope he comes in back to his Hall of Fame ways. But at the same time, as an organization, you always have to be able to protect the organization. And, and if he's not going to die, it doesn't surprise me that they had thought about reaching up for maybe a, a, another edge rusher, knowing that they're probably going to have to move on at some point. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, like if I can take my like fan hat off with that, I definitely understand why they did it. Like that's one of those things like a smart GM has to start to think, you know, you, you, you start to look beyond the person to the player and then trying to fill the position that you think you might need. So it, it is planning ahead. I get it, right. but it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the cruel part of the game. Uh, right. So one, and again, I don't want to, 
if you don't want to talk about this part, like, don't let me like, like twist you into it. But I, but I, I would kind of kick myself. if I didn't ask you about this just because this is, you have a perspective being a coach and actually like being in my experience with football beyond high school was basically, I, I became a filmer in, in college just because the D2 team I was going to school for was looking for filmers. The running back coach got hired. He was new. They, he he took that job with the assumption that he was also going to be the, uh, the video coordinator. Uh, that same year, my school got DV sport and they did not have DV sport before. Um, the coach that they hired had no experience with DV sport. So like he was learning it new and he found out like when he interviewed me, he found out that I wanted to try and break into coaching. And so I think he started being like, Hey, you want to break into coaching? Here's, here's how you can do it if you didn't play. And so he kind of started to teach me how to be a video coordinator. And essentially I started doing his job to, like to some degree. And again, I can't say I was great at it, but, but I tried. Um, but so like with that said, like I was in the room and stuff, but it wasn't really the same as like, obviously like I wasn't coaching. Um, but, but like, I, I mean, it it makes me always a little bit reluctant when I see some of the narratives that kind of go on. And like one of the big narratives with Fangio is that he's a great defensive mind, but he's a bad head coach. And again, like, and I, and I've talked about this in other episodes of coverage of Broncos. Like I understand the number side of it. Like, you look at some of the clock management issues the Broncos have had, like there's no way around it. They had some clock management issues that said, like, I don't know necessarily if it's fair to damn a guy for that. When you also consider like the quarterback situation you had to deal with the injury, you know, all the other issues that happened last year. Um, and even in 2019, like Fangio and you and I have talked about this before. Fangio's kind of gotten a shit hand when it comes to quarterback so far. Wow. Um, but like one of the things I really would like to ask you about kind of is like, what like this narrative of a, he's a good defensive coordinator, but he's not a good head coach. Like, what is that? Like, like clearly different duties, but at the same time, like Fangio kind of bleeds that line because he also is the play caller for the defense. Right. And that usually tends in the NFL. That's usually where in some of the higher level colleges, it usually tends to be kind of the, if you're not successful, that's okay. Well, maybe you need to release the play calling duty. Maybe you need to focus more on being a head coach. Maybe it's not as easy uh, calling defense and also being a head coach and being in the room um, with the offense and, and talking to your quarterbacks and, and that development piece. I think people hear stories of Bill Belichick sitting with Tom Brady and talking about all the different ways that they're going to attack. Hey, this is how we would attack you on here. This is what you need to look for and kind of going through that process. And it helps, you know, I think, what ends up happening is any time that a team's not successful, and that tends to be the first thing that people look towards. It's like, well, okay, he must not be a good head coach. He must be able to be a, a good corner. And, and you're right. There are people that are just really good at, at calling defense or calling offense, and then when they have to manage the whole team, it's just it's different because the job changes. You know, some guys, they think they want to be head coaches, they get a head coaching job, and then they realize, well, I don't want to be a CEO, I just want to call defense, or I just want to call offense. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it kind of shows, because they kind of just let things go. Um, I think with Fangio, and I've, and I've kind of said this, and we've, like you said, we talked about this, is it's not that you're giving him a pass, it's just that when you look at it, he just he hasn't had an opportunity to be successful. And sometimes that's just, 
that's just the card you're dealt. I think that there's plenty of coaches that have had this situation where you think that you're coming into something and it's going to be really good. And then the next thing you know, it's like, well, if you don't have a quarterback, and this doesn't matter, this is even at the highest level at high school. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a program. It's just, it's really, really hard to win if you don't have a quarterback. I mean, look at, look at, you know, some of these teams that are just playing quarterback shuffle right now. They're just trying to get a better quarterback, you know, and so, and they're, you know, it's not just enough to, to win a couple of games. No, I would, you know, if you don't have an elite quarterback and there's very few of them, then it's just going to be really, really hard to win at an elite level. Um, so I can't speak for Fangio personally. I don't know him. And, you know, I don't know any locker room stories or anything like that, but just from the outside looking in, that's usually one of the first things that people will start complaining about with a guy that, that does have his hand in play calling, but also as the head coach is that, hey, you know, maybe you need to give that to somebody else so you can kind of detach yourself and kind of see the bigger picture of things. I um, mean, I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing um, for a coach to do. Some guys just don't want to give up the play calling. One, and one of the things that like would make me nervous with that too, with Fangio is he's just so good at it. Cause I, and again, like even when the personnel has been bad, I feel like he, like he has a really good beat on like when to call things, like what to do with this. And again, like, yeah, there's, there's issues here and there. Like, I, and again, I always, I always think of this and against Aaron Rodgers, ironically enough, uh, 2019 week three, when the Broncos, they had him on, I want to say it was like third and long and they dropped eight. And Rodgers just shredded him because it's Aaron Rodgers. But like at the same time, like you're not going to win every single call on defense, right? But you know, it'll be interesting. I they've got the you know Mike Lombardi the other day a couple weeks ago was just raving about how great the Broncos roster is, except the quarterback. And I think yep. that again, it's probably going to come down to this year. And I think that's why they went out and they tried to get as good of a defense as they possibly could. They're they're hoping that Von Miller. Can, can come back to be what he was and then just hope that one of the quarterbacks can be serviceable enough to make the playoffs or at least push for that number two spot in the West. Because if you do that and you show some growth, you know, I think that there's some real, there's some real talent on that roster moving forward that if you can just fix the quarterback position, you know, I think Lombardi was saying that if, if Mahomes was on the Broncos, I don't think anybody would even bat an eye. I think everybody would be like, hands down, the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl. It's probably not even going to be close just because of the talent that they have on, on the roster. I mean, you put Tom Brady on the Broncos, I think everybody would be saying the same thing. So it's kind of like that's the one position. But again, when you're an NFL head coach, if you don't have a quarterback, there's a reason why Bill Belichick was so great. It's just because he had Tom Brady. And, you know, Tom Brady was probably so great because he had Bill Belichick. So it's kind of like it, it, it's kind of that they work with each other. Yeah. Uh, you got to have a great head coach and you got to have a great quarterback. If you don't have that, it's going to be really, really hard to be successful in the NFL. So the last time we talked, and I'm not, I can't let you go until I kind of pick you on this, but the last time we talked, you actually said that it made sense to give Julak another fair chance. Um, and like now he's obviously going to get it. Uh, what do you think like the Broncos range of outcomes is with Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater? And again, if they're different, like vastly different, obviously like that's okay. Uh, the last, the last guest I talked to, uh, Nathan Cooper from sports info solutions gave me six to 11 wins. So like, don't feel like you have to pin it down to one or two. Like I know this early in the season before injuries, before anything, like it's tough. 
Um, I feel like they almost have to, like me personally, I feel like they almost have to be better than last year just because last year was a perfect storm of garbage. But um, Football Outsiders gave them, I want to say, a 4.9% chance at making it to the Super Bowl, uh, which was better than I expected. I'm not going to lie. That I did. I basically thought like if the Broncos didn't get Aaron Rodgers, they were screwed. And so like after I talked to Derek Klassen, I was like, oh, I feel a lot better about that now. Um, but they had, uh, according to Football Outsiders projections, they had the second best odds at the playoffs of any AFC West. Or yeah, of any AFC West team, they had the second best odds of the playoffs. I want to say it was like 45.6% or something like that. Um, does that seem reasonable to you? Yeah, I mean, I think 10, 11 games, if they could stay healthy, I mean, again, this all comes down to health, and I know we keep saying that because it was so bad last year. There's no way it can get any worse, right? But I think if they can stay healthy, some of these offensive guys can step up. If you could just get just serviceable quarterback play, um, it doesn't have to be fantastic. Just regular quarterback play, lean on that defense. Let the, and if the defense can just be stand out and have a great year, um, I, I don't see why you couldn't win 10, 11 games and, and really maybe push for um, a wild card berth. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. I think the road has to go through the wild card, the, the super wild card round now, but yeah. And I, and I think too, you know, and I'll say this, it, I think you're right. I think if they have the same season, they go six and 10 um, or six and 11. Now I got to get you seasoning numbers, same. Um, but, you know, seven and 10. Then I think, yeah, you're probably looking at, you know, probably going to have to move on. Um, unless you just think you can get a quarterback and it's going to change, it's going to change the game unless you're just, you know, but, but again, I think unless the defense just plays unbelievable and it's just, again, we have this revolving door on offense, then I think maybe, maybe give them another year. But I, I, like I said, like you said, you can't have the same year you had last year. You got to show improvement. If everybody, I think there's some quiet, quiet confidence of, Hey, if we can just put it all together and be consistent on offense, that we can probably make the playoffs. And I think if you make the playoffs, then you can start building something. Definitely. That's, I mean, that's what I'm hoping for. So, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime. I love talking Broncos. I love talking to you. Me too. Uh, guys, again, if you do not follow Coach A on Twitter, he is at the Coach A, uh, the underscore Coach underscore A. Uh, Go get match quarters, hybrids, and anchor points. I definitely recommend them. Uh, go to match quarters, his st- sub stack, and subscribe to it. Yeah, appreciate it.